start it. 973-529.4. We welcome you to a very long and belated episode of the Starting Podcast. You have your three hosts, myself, the great Venomous, the charismatic pedantic one, also known as the Decadent, and our most charming helmsman, the Iconoplast. I don't know why you're a helmsman, but you are now. Ooh, I see the ship. On the docket for today, it's essentially a textravaganza menagerie of everything we've you can kind of see on board a starship, mm-hmm. many starships. Just but most are relevant to communication. Yeah, we have things uh, to talk about on how do all ships just somehow have all the same standard hailing frequencies? How can they intercept everybody's communication? Who decided that all this technology standardized? Also, the uh, riveting topic of you know a holodeck. How can you somehow create sentient life on such things? Possibly delve into other artificial life forms, such as the Noonien Soon type androids, and uh, a lot of other things. Then uh, we'll see. We'll see what things land in the divots of our waffle, because that's what we tend to do here a lot. We just tend to waffle, kind of like I'm doing right now. I'm right sure to let you flounder and go and go and go. <laughs> yeah. Right, so I do think we should turn over to the iconoplast as he had brought forth these ideas. So let's put spotlight. This is your fault that I'm floundering this way. It's my fault. I see. Uh-huh. Iconoplast lives matter. <laughs> Can't trust him to go anywhere. Well, Nope. 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 That might need to be edited. I don't know. Leave it in. Who knows? Uh, So, yeah. All four of you. So, I'm just endearing myself to the people. Very much so. All 47 of you. Right, people? (laughs) That's a a topic for another day. So, care to lead us off on uh, this riveting topic? Well, I wanted to start off on the big one of life, you know, for a nice casual discussion. <laughs> yes, because life is not, you know. Yeah, the the origins of that are, well, I, a topic deeper than this little thing is ready to explore, but I'm more concerned with where the boundaries of artificial life come into like it's interesting that it was the the rights of artificially created life was set forth and uh, around litigated litigated yeah. around start eight four two five or so and the the landmark case again with against uh, lieutenant commander data uh, yes right. that's the measure of a man yeah that'll be the one but since then, there have been other types of artificial life come forth. There have been uh, there have been holodeck creations. I seemingly have sprouted up into a state of consciousness or hyperintelligence, seemingly out of nowhere. And then you have the issue of the 
uh, Voyager's emergency holographic program, uh, medical hologram. So with um, all these different things, experiencing life, emotion, consciousness, sentience in some way, shape, or form, what is the combination of, of tech, of programming, of whatever that changes something from a laptop into a living being? Sorry, a laptop? A laptop. Technology. An iPhone, a toaster. Oh, a pad. A pad. Yes. Yeah. A simple replicator. Yeah. That would be an interesting life form made of a replicator, but I digress. So, so a, like a, a, a sentient replicator would be kind of like a shapeshifter? You could say that. That sounds about right. You can take, you can change form into whatever, so. Yeah. Well, then where does the replicator end and the change next start? That's See, topic for another day. Yeah. Episode 84, I believe. We'll go with that. I'm so, going back question now. What, what is the bar to be cleared? And how do you, how do you define it? How do you enforce it? Like, nah, you're not life. Or yes, well, you. All right. So if we go back to the whole top, the, the case, the measure of the measuring of man case, because uh, I don't know if there's, I don't know the on, on hand, but the actual case known as Starfleet V data. Mm-hmm. Or Maddox v data, who knows? Um, Maddox v data. Yeah, it was ruled in that case that data is not a toaster. He has some type of soul, possibly, and is therefore granted all the rights there enough any other life forms. But that never really got applied. Or unless it was that I that I just failed to see in other cases. For example, we could have our EMH that was he ever granted those rights? Was it ever implicit? Well, the the thing that I found interesting, so you have data and data was specifically lacking the emotion chip. Correct. Now it can be said that the difference between him and a holodeck character is like all technology, well, like all technology, the portable version is less powerful. So, the hol- well, the holodeck is using the entire ship's computer at their disposal. True. So, as opposed to the EMH? As opposed to data. Okay. So, data is a, you know, entirely self contained. But he did have a positronic brain versus whatever tech the ship used. Yeah, isolinear based. Yes. So you, you have that issue. So, but then the, the question always becomes too, if, if you could ask a computer to make a sentient being, is then the computer not sentient? Because they asked the they asked the computer make a 
just make someone who could compete with data and they made Moriarty. Yeah, although they, it used, it used the existing parameters of the previous command, which was, you know, make a Holmesian style mystery that can confound data, which it started kind of doing. And that's when they gave it the new command and make, I think it was like, a make a person worthy of data, who can defeat data. Which is what then made, you know, the computer somehow pour all this information and all these more bits into Moriarty, who then just somehow became sentient. I think, yeah. I think this is boarding on the question of like, what is sentience? It is, yes. Well, and that's that's where it comes to like, can a non-sentient device create sentience? I mean, the kind of by that logic, you would have to kind of assume that when Dana made Lal, if he was not considered a sentient being, because some people were still up in the air about him, even though that ruling wasn't in his favor, no one knows if he's sentient. Even Picard, in that case, goes, are you sentient? Do you? Do you? I, I don't know. That, that was effectively the winning argument is, you don't know, so back off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never really was established. It wasn't established, no. I mean, you assume it was from that point up until Utopia Planitia disaster. I mean, no, it wasn't because... It was, it was established legally that the courts have no right to decide what sentience is or isn't. Yes, there we go. And courts court, decide courts don't know. Yeah, courts do that a lot. They They... Yeah. They take a, like, we can't make a decision on this because we don't have the evidence. They pass a general ruling that is supposed to send a message to future generations. That... Yeah, so it implies that that data is sentient, but really all the ruling said is we don't know. Yeah. yeah. So we're not going to condemn a person. Because he's an artificial life form of sorts, we are not restricting his... Liberty. Yeah, we are not going to decide that he isn't sentient. Yeah. Or is. Or is. So, I said, with that, you contrast that with, like I said, and the, the fascinating thing I found with the EMH was that the, the additions that they made to this program were just more, basically, more, um, more short-term memory, I guess, or more long-term memory. Or subroutines. Yeah. Subroutine. A couple subroutines, but it, I, it was more on the idea of like, well, you're going to be on all the time, so you might as well remember everything. And until, somehow... Until we don't let you remember, and we alter your memory, and then you have a crisis on your hands. Yeah, then you... Or the, or the part where you run out of memory, and then we panic because we don't know what to do, so we reboot you and hope you bring it back. Yeah. What is this, Y2K in space? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a cultural precedent for that, but there is. But yeah, so so why did just expanding the doctor's memory give him sentience? You is know, that, if, if if I put if I put a, a terabyte SSD into my old uh, my old pad here, it's not going to gain sentience unless you write a very good program. 
I'm I'm also just curious. This is this is me waffling over here for a second. Uh-huh. Um, me and you talked about this way, way, way. Me and the iconoplast touched on this a very, very, very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it the fact that <clears throat> every time you see someone in Starfleet doing a job, they have like five different pads? That you is a discussion. You would think that even nowadays, well, nowadays is when we're recording this. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're we're speaking to our audience. Yes. In in yeah. You can you have like a file sharing system. Yeah, not even just a file sharing system, just the ability to you have the store internet. multiple things on the same device. You would think the enterprise would have Wi-Fi. Yeah, it has some form of Wi-Fi because com badges work. Yeah, yeah, it has com badges, but you can but just pre- yell computer from anywhere in the ship. Oh, now here I'm going to take this on. No, I, I I love where this is going because it's where I was going to take it. I think. Maybe. No, I'm going to go conspiratorial on you here. We're going to, you know, Wolf 359 was an inside job. Wow. So, so, so there was another fictional universe that was, existed back in the 20th century called Battlestar Galactica. Now, I've, I've done some research on this because I'm like Tom Paris. I, I love old 20th century. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and the premise of that show is that the sentient androids are waging, have, you know, have rose, risen up and are waging war against the humans. And so as a, as a countermeasure to that, they, um, the ships that they designed have no network in them, have no network connectivity. False. They do. They do, but they have extremely locked down. Yes, and aboard the Galactic itself. Um, oh my God, what is his name? Like, yeah, they 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 send stuff in on pieces of paper. And yeah, Captain. They use, Captain yeah, they, and they use like landline telephones because they're they're paranoid of, of yeah, like they're paranoid of getting hacked. So, did the Federation think that if the uh, if this artificial light continues to progress and progress and progress, we are going to face another gray goose scenario like this, and we better get ready by locking down pads with minimal memory, no connectivity, so that it, if if you know if we get hacked by the anti datas, then we're safe. You mean those well, I mean, tentacles that came out of a wormhole? Yeah, yeah. If you know if. If space tentacles. The implication being, they happened before, also. It you know it it could have happened before. It could have been just resp- a conscious thought planted in that they have to eliminate all connectivity. It, it could have been a response to. It could have been a response to Wolf three five nine. But there is still some. It, the problem existed prior to Wolf three five nine, though. But if having you know kind of like that, you know, off the grid, disconnected. Backups plan. Time traveler goes back and enforces these rules without any explanation. Well, time traveler from the very distant future comes back. It's like, hey, maybe before we interconnect all these things, maybe we should lock them down just in case. I'm like that just seems like a logical idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time traveler comes back, infiltrates Starfleet intelligence because that's apparently really easy to do. 
It's it has precedence. Romulans have done it for apparently decades. Yeah. You know, you can get the head of Starfleet security, I guess, just by being a mean Vulcan slash Romulan. I guess. And yeah, I mean that 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 checks out. And you, okay, we're we're sidetracking again, but I mean, don't, it's, it's don't they run? Best. Don't they run bioscans on these people? Like, couldn't they tell this person is Romulan? You would think so. Or you know, in a situation like that, when they say like you know, do a mind meld, or we're sticking you in the brig. Yeah. So like, well, wait, by that point, they um, that was long past the belief that mind melds weren't allowed by Vulcans. Right. That so, was you know, so. If I'm if I'm getting ready to promote someone in, to head of Starfleet security. Oh, you're bringing in a different Vulcan. No, if I I'm you know. Captain O here is I'm getting ready to promote her to Commodore and make her head of Starfleet Security. I see. First, first thing I do is, you know, meet her parents and I say, you know, you know, full molecular bioscan. Really I feel like that's a first step meet, for meeting parents. I don't know if you'd meet the parents. I think he meant that as a euphemism. Yeah. Well, it's my my uh <laughs> My my great 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 grandfather worked on the Nike missiles back in the late um, in the the mid nineteen uh, hundreds, and that was that was one of the security checks. It's like they went to his hometown and they met his 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 parents. Just confirmed he is who he says he was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That I follow up. Okay. In the in the age of where they're at in the twenty fourth century. You saw how interconnected everything was, just from like or was it a hollow terminal? They could like reach another planet or sort of or trace where. Um, yeah, they they had given up on the paranoia of interconnectivity by then. Yeah, and perhaps that was their downfall. Perhaps it was. Like, well, they didn't know it was Romulan. <sighs> Maybe she snuck in because of the interconnectivity, and she was able to backdoor everything. Possibly. Could have been how would she do that if Romulans apparently hate all technology? Not all technology, just sentient mm. technology. Artificial technology, artificial life, which still doesn't make any sense. I never remember seeing that anywhere. No, no, never did. But but that goes back into whole our whole like artificial life thing. Like, how does a dumb, for lack of other terms, a dumb AI such as our computer create like that sentient life. Is it on par with data? Or is the ship itself sentient life? Now to be fair, at the at the time that this recording is going to, there is technology coming along that's focused on like a genetics model of programming wherein you can where an uh, AI can be given a, a, a set of uh, criteria, a set of questions to answer, and then if it answers them wrong, it gets, you know, little tweaks in its brain and subroutine tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked until it finally can can perform a task, you know, correctly. So I have an interesting question for you both as uh, in addition to everything we have discussed. Um, I'm trying to find the correct one. 
but um, are you familiar? I know Iconoplast and I are because we watched this one together. But are you familiar with the one of the um, archival footages labeled the short tracks? Mm -hmm. I am familiar with some of them. Okay, the, I'm trying to find the title of the one I'm looking for. But the one where a um, pilot is rescued onto the USS Discovery. Yes. That one I did not see. Okay. You know, do you know what I'm referring to with uh, the man named Kraft mm -hmm. and the ship? So the, the premise of that one is that the Discovery was launched into the future a thousand years. But its computer system, Zora, becomes sentient just through sitting there for a long time and talking to itself. And eventually it retrieves the uh, escape pod of the man named Kraft and then, then tries to fall in love with him. Showing that given enough time, even the ship itself apparently can claim sentience. But see, this, this always goes back to like, there's no, there's nothing spurring it. There's no stimulus. There's no lightning strike, you mean? Yeah, it's, you know, uh, an object at rest tends to stay at rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. That's just a law of physics. So if, if a computer is receiving, so I, you can, so I can take my pad here and I can leave it for three and a half billion years and it's never going to get up and walk. There's no stimulus. There's nothing being told to it. There's there's no well, way for it to interact that, with the world. That begs the question of that. Wait, hang on. I think I have. Okay. To what you're saying. You would uh, like to I, retort? I would like to retort. I believe you would. Um, objection. No. I'm going oh, to allow it. <laughs> I'm going to allow this. Sustain. I've been watching. Nah. But you're on a short leash there, Beanus. <laughs> So let's let's assume for the moment that pads only have I don't know something modest, you know, forty, 40 gigaquads of storage. Just use some ancient technology terms. Yeah, let, let's 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 assume that because I mean because they're mo they're mostly just using for like information and text documents. Text yeah. documents. Seventy-five petaquads. Some pictures. <laughs> no, that's too much for a pad. That's Let's much. say, because all you're doing it is you have your basic pad OS, whatever it is, Alcars, portable or whatever. Mm -hmm. Sure. You need to access a little bit of the resources here and there, and you need to process that. You have to plug but in to get it. It might need. It might have a battery. I don't know. It might be portable. It might have some type of Wi-Fi connection. Who knows? Because they can be on it and tap it, and you see data just being transmitted. They airdrop information. Airdrop? What's that? It's an old term. Ah, another another twenty first century enthusiast here. So let's say you have Paris. your Alcar OS, your basic uh, NTFS, FAT thirty two file sharing, whatever. Why didn't anyone make a Linux distro called Alcar OS? They have, and I think it's garbage. 
<laughs> it doesn't run the way you think it's going to run. I think I looked it up where like it's a skin, like a desktop environment. And you're uh, like, it's completely unusable. Gross. I hate this. Anyways. But um, all right, let's say it has, to be generous, maybe a gig uh-huh. worth of storage. And like maybe. For text, that's plenty. For text, that's plenty. And maybe five. Even gig. some pictures. Yeah. <laughs> to process documents. And let's say it just has its basic just fetch and fetch and receive command. Just like get information, send it. That's all it can do. Mm-hmm. Even if you were to set that pattern of diagnosis cycle to continue, continuously keep going, that log eventually is going to get to a point where it can't. It can't. Yeah. Because you will hit that limit. And if the, if the OS on it isn't advanced enough to do anything, it's just going to get stuck, and that's as far as it goes. However, let's just postulate the, the ship's AI for all intents and purposes. It has 124 petaquads. Of, you know, Near limitless storage. For near our limitless, because it's, it's running everything. It's essentially the OS of the Starship. It has to keep track of like diagnostic functions. It has, it has to be able to run an EMH. It has to be able to run an EMH, uh, holodeck, everything. Replicate. Simultaneously. It needs, it needs a database. It needs a process of how to do all this. So it, it has some smarts. So let's say going back to that example of what was it? The, um. Uh, I believe they referred to it as uh, it was the discovery, but I believe the short track was referred to as Calypso. Okay, and that's the ship that fell in love with this pilot, supposedly. The USS Discovery, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have the ship's AI running in a diagnostic cycle, looking for which it is always doing that because it always has the information at ready when they ask for it. Yeah. Let's say you have it doing that, always checking for inconsistencies in its code. And if it finds one, file it away. Just store it somewhere for later use. After so many cycles, that process, it's going to get corrupted. So it's going to keep generating more and more and more errors. That log is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it goes, hang on, why do I have all these errors? It'll check it. And it's like, wait, what do these things do? What are they for? So in theory, you could right. have But why does it ask why? There, we're going back to the whole... That goes back to the question of sentience. This, why? This goes back to the question, question. of... Uh, this goes back to... Um, oh, what was her name? The cards of love interest in the measure of a man case. Uh, the judge. The judge. Um, she, has, she also had... She was a former captain... She's the uh, former gag officer in the sector. She was the one who she ruined his her relationship with him because she prosecuted him for whatever happened on the Stargazer. She she did it because she was she was just mad. Yeah. So got the biographer uh, of Philippa. Philippa. Uh, what is it? Anyway, yeah, Philippa. Interesting love. She was she did the whole Stargazer trial. She was mad at him. Because yeah. he stood her up and he took command of like the Stargazer. So she was a woman spurned. She got vengeful. Yeah, she tried to and she failed. 
because she didn't have enough evidence. Yeah, I would say the first the first time she failed. The second time, the measure of the mantle is okay. Like, yeah, that's fine. But it goes to what she said. It's like these are questions that are best left to philosophers and saints, not a person to like dictate what sentience is. Right. Because you have an AI that can check itself. It's like, okay, I have these things that are wrong. What caused them? These things. All right, what do I do with it? Either delete or you can just debug them. But see, that goes back to what I'm saying is you well, even, and I, I have that capability to ask why. What does this mean? Well, even a, um, I mean, to use a 21st century program like you're talking about, like if you run um, that process to look for errors and then it'll automatically recommend, here's how you fix them. So it itself knows how to do it. It just is waiting for the command to do so. So, so at what point, going back to your question of why, at what point does it decide it itself can make the command to execute. Yeah. That's what the whole evolution of AI is. So with that in mind, all the things we've discussed thus far, can how does sentience come about? How does a dumb AI essentially gain sentience and give sentience to another thing? Uh, what do we come to the conclusion of? Do we even know what sentience is? Are you even sentient, Iconoblast? I I think I'm sentient. Therefore, and I think. And I, I, I think it's just polite to give everyone else that I see the benefit of the doubt, think they're the same. I follow up with a retort to that. Would you consider tribbles sentient? No, but I consider them uh, delicious, especially with a little bit of butter sauce. There we go. So here's the ultimate conclusion for us then. There are forms of things that aren't considered life that are sentient and things that are considered life that aren't. Yeah. And every variation of those, every possible outcome of that Punnett square. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, pretty much. We essentially waffled to, the, to what we started with that we don't really even know what sentience is. Yeah, of course. No, that's pretty common. That, that's about, that, that, that's, that's speed for us. So. So with that in mind, how about we hit pause and then um, we'll come back with our new topic, which was, what was our new topic? I forgot about it. Because we talked uh, about students. Technology of sorts. It was uh, communication and standardized. I think we got the the good old UT coming up next. That's right. That is one of. How does that work? All right. So when we're back from our great and beloved sponsor, Charleston Chew. Ah, get mad every time. One day, one day we'll we'll get we'll get us for over six hundred years. Charleston Chew provides you with a great taste you've come to know and love. So we'll hear a message from our sponsor, Charleston Chew. Hopefully, if not, you'll just hear some delightful elevator music. And um, we'll be back after whatever happens next.
And we're back from words of amazing, amazing sponsors. Hopefully, Charles and Drew, please don't sue us. We don't have any money, even though we brought back capitalism in the 29th century where we're at. Um, sure, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Something I we failed to do at the beginning of the show that we've done before, we didn't introduce what we're all sipping on. We did not. Who would like to lead off? How dare we not do that? I mean, I guess I'll... it's it's what the people want. I want to know what we're because we all forty-seven have... of you. All forty-seven. Yes. Wow, we're expecting good reviews from this one then. Yeah. The last one got forty-seven plays. Oh, okay. Granted, I don't know what a play constitutes, but how many of those were us? At Somewhere least... between thirty-six and forty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Continue with your uh, beverage of choice, sir. Um, so what do you have over there, Iconoplast? I am sipping on a new Edinburgh ah. Scotch Martini. What's, uh, what's in that? Scotch Manhattan, I should say. So just uh, some scotch, some uh, replicate sweet vermouth. It's not the same. And so a little huh? bit of bitters. That's not a bad thing. And you, uh, Mr. Their Pedantic One? I'm running dry, but what it was, was I believe I called it a mind meld, because it's just a bit of everything. So took bit, bits of memories of different people, put it into a drink. Uh, it was bourbon, uh, Earl Grey infused Everclear, ginger beer, southern style tea, and lemonade. That definitely sounds like a concoction for a mind meld. Seems yes. like was at the center of that one. I would think so. Yeah, it's not bad. See, mine's isn't as fancy as yours. Mine's is just an Andorian sky. Um, it's pretty. It's essentially tequila, tequila, not tequila, tequila, tonic, splash of lime, and just and a little bit, right. a very Look. small splash of blue curacao, just for that little really nice clean look. Just to get the sky color. Yeah, and like on a hot, hot day it's it's pretty refreshing although you could leave out the blue curacao and then it's just a, a reflection of the andorian winter that's i like the blue if it's gonna I be blue, it has to be blue i mean you gotta have some citrus too you have to have citrus you have to have blue can't be a star trek trick if it's not blue that's fair or some other type of neon color but, it is um, the future after all. It is. Everything has to be either neon green, bright magenta, or blue. But with that in mind, here's a segue. How would you say blue in other languages? Blue. Let's say you want to talk about these things, and you were confronted with an alien life form that did not speak your native tongue. How the you heck do you talk about something? What? What? Well, if you're uh, anything past the about 22nd century, you just whip out the old UT. That's right. Good old universal translator. Yes, that. Yeah, yeah, add to that. Don't add an I at the end of that because it's just like that. Universal translating imager index. Oh, that would be. 
So is 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 what is the index for the Universal Translator called the Universal Translator yeah. Index? Also, I would, as you the UTI. It is now. As much as you don't want it to be, it is now. It's a thing. That's effectively Hoshi, because she created it, so she therefore is the index. She never mind. No. Nope. nope. No. Nope. Well, Continue. she created, she created the, the, uh, the coordinated universal uh, neutral translator. <laughs> you did not go there. Oh, no. I like how it took people just a second. Well, as soon as you said the first three letters. Yeah, as soon as I got that. I was like, that's uh, on. Moving on. So does that make, all right, so all right, let's talk about the universal translator for a bit. You need it to communicate, you know, if you're in the early days of Starfleet before the uh, NXO one, where you need to build your database. We could even tie this back to our previous conversation before we went on break. We could. Does it also have some type of AI on it in order to process everything that's well, going on? Especially to figure out syntax, context. Well, the, the thing I, I own collection, everything like that. You have to assume. I gotta, somewhat. I gotta say, I liked, I liked it better. I think it made more sense in the Enterprise days because the the alien language in general the person had to say a couple lines before it could pick up on things and then get a translation right yeah you had to have a base whereas later on it seemed to be instantaneous maybe they just have acquired enough languages well i i would assume until they run into one that they can't and like what well, apparently that's a problem which is which is kind of where I was about to just kind of interject there. You have the children of Tama. Well, the thing is, though, the Universal Translator worked. It did. Did because it? Because it, it, they said Mostly. things like Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. It gave them locations. It, it gave them a one-to-one -one translation. It put them into an English grammar and sentence structure. So it came to, all right, I don't know if you guys have kept up with some of the old, old, like 21st century mm -hmm. tech news. There's that whole project out of MIT that a good, uh, the only comparison that I can think of is this project out of MIT that they're trying to develop sign language translation in clouds. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. I'm familiar with what you refer to. They also added a bit to that. Because the problem was before it was a very one to one thing. You would sign like a thing and it would give you the word. But sign language. Sign language. Yeah, sign language not only is just where your hand shape and position is in they place the orientation, et cetera. Yeah. It's also your face. Yes. What your face is saying is 90% of what you're talking about. That adds your tone. And which every, could be, yeah. I think, why everyone in the 22nd century and on constantly uses FaceTime to communicate. They do. Or something like yeah. FaceTime. 
right. That's going to go into what we're going to, that whole story. Another sponsor? No, no, no. No, we can't afford <laughs> that. No one. Are you kidding me? I shouldn't even have said that word. I meant the fruit, not yep. the company. <laughs> have you noticed in any, okay, have you noticed, this is, this is a tangent, have you noticed in any show, drama, anywhere, if someone has an, an iMac, the Apple logo has to be covered? Yes. You're referring to Crash No matter what country. Yeah. Yeah. It's Don't want to like, pay the uh, royalties. The royalties. It's like it's ridiculous. Logos it's, sell, man. Except yeah, back in the uh, the original uh, Mission Impossible movie, yes. where the good guys had apples and the uh, the bad guys had uh, PCs. Well, that's why not Apple is trying. I to prove that. I, I prove that message. You would. <laughs> you should. But so that that goes into like we said. I I have no doubt that first and foremost, the Universal Translator is just a huge, huge library of thousands upon thousands of millions of languages. You know, all over, all over from all these different species. That as they meet it, it's storing information to make the translation better and more clear for next time and just yeah. you know saving it saving some processing power like every time they hail the klingons i'm sure there's no like translation work on it it's just like it's hearing the word and it's putting out the english equivalent Got a cash. until you get to the points where um if you say have a klingon with you and they'll give you a like yes that's what he said but he meant more this yeah like you like here's the cultural translation of it. Yeah. So that's one thing that I've always complained about the UT on is that cultural nuance, like like you said, or idioms, which can be very location based. How well does it handle those? It doesn't seem to be great. I don't think it would be because take for it example. wouldn't have enough context. Yeah, take for example the Spanish language in Latin America. You can take one word, put four different Hispanic people from different countries on the same little strip of land. What? Example that I've heard before is like bolsas. Yeah, bags. Like some places it's referred to as bags, other Mm -hmm. places no. Yeah, it's referred to as a scrotum. Yes. It's yeah. It is a bag, but still. I mean, it's a bag of sorts. Can't really use it. Well, I, well, I mean, <laughs> in English, we have sack, too, that is used the same way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. If you want to, yeah, I mean, you, you have, like, the American English, you have the, 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 the King's or Queen's English, and then you have, you know, Australian English. You know. Well, that, and, that, that comes up to an interesting question, though, too is what language are children taught in the Federation? That's where they grow up, I would imagine. Are we assuming also everyone or most kids are at least bilingual? I mean, do they do they teach a second language, though? Do you bother with any language? 
just let the UT run your whole life and you don't actually understand. So, so do every, is every human actually just going, and the universal translation figures it out? Very well it very like well they just be. never learn any t anything? No. All the cats in the neighborhood just like started clawing at our apartment for some reason. <laughs> It's an interesting question, though. Yeah. Is that a possibility? Or in the case that you're asking, what language would it be? Would it be, I mean, are you going to get into things that are considered standard language across space? Or do you just teach English because of pressure? But, I mean, Jean-Luc Picard speaks French. He does. And, it's, it's, and it's sometimes he speaks that to his dog. As of, now, does the universal translation speak dog? That is a question. That is a fascinating question. To quote, to quote the iRobot movie, that detective is the real question. Yeah. So, so Jean Luc Picard is speaking French to his dog, and then is the universal translate like is does is this dog here? Is it is it barking back at the dog? Does the UT translate barking back to Picard? Into French. Yeah, yeah. We don't hear the dog going this too much with him die. You know, those the worst. It really things. is. The worst <laughs> I'm going. I've I'm going for a record for how many people I can. You know, offend. Today. It's getting up there, especially after the UT comments. After um, the uh, coordinated universal what what neutral? Yeah, I believe. I don't know. That was great. Though. <laughs> All right, so that goes back. All right, so let's say the Universal Translator is capable of translating everything, dog included, animal sounds included. For at least Federation officers, you have a comm badge, which is... I have a thing to bring up after this, so remind me. Okay. So you have a little speakerphone on you, or a speaker mic on you. Right. And you have, in, for some reason in one of the early historical archives, a flip phone, essentially, to be able to do that for you also. So these are commissioned people. Now, does your everyday civilian who's not a part of the Federation, do they also have these things? When you go to school, are you issued one of these things? I, I kind of think that it's probably just kind of incorporated into, like, building structures. So if you're out on the street and you meet a Klingon walking down the street and you bump into him and you try to say sorry, he doesn't know what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, like, I would think in downtown San Francisco, like maybe the streetlights are broadcasting like universal translation Wi-Fi and just. So then how does it localize on that little specific area? Because if it's a speaker, it's just going this way. How does all communication even happen? I have a question for you, relevant to communication. We're going to tie all I, this sorry, back I, together. I'm, I'm excited. No, no, no. Go back to your question. I'm sorry. No, because here's here's the other thing that comes up at that point. Does the universal trend? This there, there's no way to say this without sounding horrible. But at what level of sentience? does the universal translator recognize as this is language? 
instead of right. So it's it's like how intuitive well, is it? Uh, well, like the example of dogs. Does it recognize dogs as having a specific language? Or data with spot? Yeah, does does data speak to spot and does spot understand? I mean it's a cat, so no, it doesn't understand. Does cats hate you know, everything? No, yes, it understands. No, it doesn't does, understand. Does does Naomi okay, Wildman's gerbil understand her? Stupid gerbil. Like where did she even get the gerbil? Was it replicated? Is it a sentient gerbil? Was it a triple in disguise? Gerbil, triple. I can see the connection. Just better hope it was sterile. So yeah, there's a there's a level of things. So I mean I would I would imagine that it would have some way of just kind of like there's probably a constant like search feature going on where it like it sees a person and there might even be some sort of like 24th century you know EEG type thing where as you're walking it's scanning your brain waves and it's saying okay this person speaks English mm -hmm. this person speaks Chinese this person speaks Hilarion. I want to bring up and then I, I, I might I might have something along those lines I don't know if, it, if it's what the, the fanatic one has but that, no go ahead because I, I don't think so I mean my, my whole thing is based on just like the whole Google IOs in the past um, when they were trying to sell their like you know pixel Google earbud things. Right. They were tied to your phone and they had to one like translation going on at the same exact time. So you'd hold your phone out to like a speaker who spoke Swedish or whatever. And you you hear they do that into your phone and it's like, I like your shoes. And then you hear it in your ear and then you speak back to the phone like, oh thank you. You know I also love your furniture. And they'd be like, Wow. They demoed that and it, it kind of works even even like a few years later after that demo. It it has tweaks to be made. So I mean, you could just have like an AI just pick up the start of a sentence. But then how do you differentiate that? That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You have so many people on a busy street, even if you had it in like a street yeah. light, it needs, all of that needs to be interconnected somewhere to process all of that. Well, and I, I, I tell you too, when uh, um, when I traveled to Israel, I used the, uh, the Google Translate photo thing to read street signs. That thing was a freaking mm -hmm. lifesaver. Oh, I can imagine so. Just, I mean, it was it was slow, but it worked. Yeah. Or at least you know it, it got a very crude translation, but you got the you got the point on it. So it's essentially that is is that what the the BUT is? It's inflation matrix on steroids. Yeah, I mean, you know, with four hundred years of polish. And especially in a post-scarcity economy where people have nothing better to do with their time. That's fair. That's another. That's that's another that, topic for another day. But it is. Replicators. I'll bring up something relevant 
to the UT. And going back to your question about the telepathic side of it, how it works, how it detects language, and does it spew it out to them in their language before they speak? Um, going back to the episode titled Loud as a Whisper. Yeah. With the interpreter, Riva. Uh-huh. So, well, the uh, negotiator, Riva. And for him, it was interesting. He was deaf, so the UT is useless to him. But he was telepathic. He was so a- what he did is he relied on tel- telepathy to his chorus, who would interpret his language to ever to whoever they spoke to. Which I don't know how that worked. Well, each of each member of the chorus represented a specific aspect of his personality, or yes, personality, emotional spectrum. Yeah. They were referred to yeah. as the scholar, the warrior, and the the one that binds them. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is, like, how did they? the three of them figure out what language to go out to and bring back to him. Or did they just speak and... And then just the telepathy carries. Yeah. Or did the Universal Translator pick it up and send it back? Well, I tend to think telepathy... Well, after they were killed, he continued to mediate. Well, no, because with Data's help, he was signing all the time for Data. He... Not after, not when they hold the actual meetings because they leave him there. No, because he's like, I'm going to teach these two races how to communicate. Right. Because the power of sign language and deafness. Not in front of anyone, but. Right. Well, and the the thing, too, I I think telepathy probably communicates probably without language. A pure. Images, images emotions, mental. thoughts, engrams. Uh, yeah, thoughts without uh, languages. You know, uh, you know, a, a coat, a dressing that we put on thoughts to to put them into the world. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just being able to take these weird electrical impulses in my mind and put them into someone else's mind using squeaks and grunts is you right. know an amazing thing or hand flappery or whatever else you want to use so like the fact that that can be communicated mind to mind that it that seems like you think it'd be the most it, it seems form. even though i know a lot of times telepathy is is thought of as you know words going into their mind or coming back i tend to think it's more just pure thought and just like skipping the coding of language that goes on to it. Yeah. yeah. If you take the examples when you had Luxana talking to, to Troy. Right. He saw it. It was just like speech going back. And yeah, speech without their mouth. That really that also <clears throat> yeah, that doesn't necessarily make sense. I mean, an internal monologue of a person isn't always comprehensible. It's not always comprehensible. It's not always, it's not, if I have a thought, I'm not, it's not like a typewriter hitting keystrokes on a page. Yeah. It can be visual things. And here's another crazy thing that I just learned recently. There's a condition where certain people 
lacked the ability to to make the it's internal monologue. Yeah. Not only internal, no, no, not only internal monologue. But they can't see what they're reading. For example, if I just say to you guys, a red apple. Right. You can visualize that. Yeah, they can't. I've yeah, I've heard of both of those things. Yeah. They know what it is, but they can't visualize it. So it even it's it it's like you ask them like, well, if you think about like your significant other, what do you see? They're like, I don't see anything. There's something there, but it, it's not what you think it is. So telepathy yeah. in itself has to be it has to be something very well, that, that's a sadly that's a strange thing about going back to our discussion of sentience. Is I think mm-hmm. sentience and consciousness, that's right now that's the best way we learn about that is by studying defects in it abnormalities that that can give insight as to what specifically is missing or what's there and what's there and so yeah i'm assuming that after 400 years they they uh had they may have affected that a little more but even 400 years is the loose term because it really started from the Annex 01 forward. It did, yeah. but I mean, those people are idiots, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, they were all a show, they were all just a show of amusement for a certain. Um, the Vulcans said they, they weren't right, and for, the Vulcans yeah. were dead right. Wait, except for the Zindi incident. It, if, if my memory serves me, did Vulcans ever visit Earth in the past? Yeah, that was first contact. Yeah, yeah, first contact. Before that. Well, I mean, no, they. I mean, surfed. Paul was on Earth in like the, the late 1990s. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, there was that thing. So that's why I was like, hang on a second. If. Vulcans had first first contact with Earth. How did they even communicate with each other? Did the Vulcans have some type of universal translator? Live long and prosper. Yeah, but well, they also observed Earth long enough to possibly learn the language. Okay, but then again, Earth at that time was not united. It It was in the middle of World War Three, so it was post World War Three. Very. Very briefly, post World War Three. Yeah, very briefly. Because Cochrane used an old nuclear missile silo to launch a ship. But right. I mean, before Cochrane, that's what I mean. It's like if Vulcans had observed. I, I'm sure, in the same way, like that, the Federation used did. Um, uh, what's it called? How they how they went to save the whales. Well, they went to save the whales, but no, they went to they went to that uh, that one planet that uh, healed everyone and made made booze bigger and. Uh, oh. But then, but then they like you know they put data in like a, a cloaking suit and. Yeah, he he, he walked around well. amongst them. The start with the B. So. The 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 Baku the Bakai but. Something like that, but so they just decided that just we're just going to check these people out until the time comes. Yeah, 
Well, even what uh, it was either the Klingons or it was or not Klingons, Vulcans or someone else. Who was the uh, they were that um, outpost that was recording a pre-warp civilization mm-hmm. and like documenting them through like a holographic building that was just a duck blind yeah. just watching them. Oh, do you mean during like the Picard era? I believe so. The proto-Vulcan society? Oh yeah, the, the, uh, the Mentakins. Yeah. Yes, Mentakins. So they watched them for a long yeah. time. I guess if, if you are doing that, if I don't know if that was ever like canon, quote unquote. That they did it on Earth, you mean? Yeah, if they did that, then I guess after a while of recording things and if you have sufficient technology to like, you know, penetrate the internet and get, gather a database of stuff, you can like sift through it and like, okay, this is what I mean, you know. You do like to assume that they had their own universe translator. I, I don't personally believe the Federation invented that technology. I mean, Soji essentially was the universe yeah. translator. So yeah. I'm a theory is crystallizing in my brain. And now I since since I've become this conspiratorial nut on this podcast. Oh right, yes. I, I, I wanna going a hard hard left here so you know make the federation great again whoa <laughs> so mafa but um yeah let's uh let's let's take a pause and then come back to this all right we will we'll, we'll resume with your Conspiracy theory. Dun, dun. And we're back. What's this theory of yours? So I'd like you take take you on a journey. So when first contact happened, the Vulcans come to Earth and basically babysit humans for several decades, get them out of the post-war blues and get them close to being the, to having the ability to travel out among themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, what we know about the Vulcans compared to humans is basically they are superior in pretty much every way in terms of they have much longer lifespans, they have much greater physical strength, uh, superior mental abilities. So if the Vulcans weren't a quote-unquote enlightened species, there's basically no reason why at the point of first contact they wouldn't just enslave humanity. Because they would peaceful race. They are a peaceful race, but if it was just in terms of military might, they would have no reason oh, yeah. to do yeah. it. And as yeah. as the humans meet the other founding races of the Federation, they meet the Andorians, the Tellarites, um, they hit Alpha Centauri, the Centurites, they hit all these other races, the Nobulans. Most of these races 
have something, some level of superiority to humans. They're either humans strong. are like the base. How do you find the middle of everything? So they're they're, they're the no peak of everything. I haven't heard it for it too long. That's what go on. Okay. So you have so you have all these races that are superior. So why are why is humanity supposedly kind of heading up the Federation? I think because I thought of it first. So it said on paper it seems like Vulcans should be in charge or another race. You know, well might. Vulcans are more xenophobic yeah and a lot of these races were and perhaps it was you know a, a diplomatic you know coup that helped um helped humans to unite all these races it was together. jonathan archer's charisma that was it right well that that's more that's more proof to the to my theory i <laughs> i postulate here that the Vulcans all along are really the puppet masters of the Federation. And that they are pushing their, their theories, their philosophies onto a race of people that are more able to, are more approachable and friendly than yeah. themselves. So, so Paul played Archer. I'm saying Vulcans played humans. Yes all the way through so i'm saying that the vulcans saw what was saw the the course of things to be and they said you know we could try and run this whole thing but we don't have that ambition these humans seem to do but if they're going to do this we're going to weave ourselves into this make them do it right make them do it in right mean our way I take that and raise you Spock. Okay. In the sense that he often tries to suppress his human side, but that side of him tends to be the side at times that shows a improvement on what a Vulcan would have done. I can see that. The more the lenient, the more flexibility the the only real advantage Less moral I, support, superiority i can see in humanity is is compassion yeah so that would be something that i would see the vulcans wanting to exploit okay to their own end so that's why and that also goes into why the Romulans hate humans so much. Because the Romulans... They see that they're getting played. They see the like, humans oh, getting played. And they're like, we ran away from, uh, from getting played centuries ago. We escaped this emotional oppression that Vulcans put upon us. Well, the emotional suppression doesn't work on humans anyway. It doesn't, but aren't the humans in the 22nd, 23rd, 24th century kind of pacified shells of their former selves. Like, yes, they have if emotions. Compared to the NX-01, sure. You have I, something to say, Great Venomous? I have a retort to that, and I'm going to... Please, please do, because I, I, I love this one. 
because I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the references. I'm gonna reference the works of uh, Tolkien. Ooh. If you know the whole story beyond uh, of that, you have the melody of you know the melody that that inhabits the whole world and that everything you know kind of is weaved into it. Mm-hmm. You have the two races that were made from I forget what his name was, the big god guy. He made the race of men and the race of Mer, which are really elves. The elves also, similarly to Vulcans, had very long lifespans, had more superior abilities than their mortal comparts, you know, a bit faster, better with the bow, more marksmanships in tune with nature. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that you had men because we had those shorter lifespans, we were given, we were gifted that shorter lifespan. Men were was the race that was like, all right, we have to get things done. Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, we don't, because you know, if we mess up with the harmony of things, we're all going to die. It's like it doesn't matter, we're all going to die anyway. Let's just get the ball rolling to make things better for everyone. If you take that whole argument towards the Federation, yes, you have the Balkans who are, I wouldn't say more intelligent. They have more experience because they've been around longer. And then, you know, their technology is more advanced. Technology, again, reaches a level it's akin to magic. You just don't know how it works. It just does its thing. Right. But they have that technology because of longer lifespans and superior mental abilities. Yes, because they've learned to repress. Because why did they repress all their emotions? Because it was they didn't want to like murder each other. So mm-hmm. they get that, which kind of makes them all right. We're just going to be a peaceable race and explore the galaxy and da 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 da. You meet this race of humanity who has come out of this incredibly bloody world war, and now is trying to usher in an era of peace. And they they made their first warp ship. They make first contact. Everything starts to change. They see they're not the only ones alone in the galaxy. They're going to be guided by, you know, the Vulcan Science Director on going in outer space missions. Even the Vulcan Science Director, it's like, hey, we don't want you to go out yet. Man being that race, it's like, we only have this much time to live. F you. We're going to do this anyway because we want to see what's out there, because we're curious, because we have that ambition, which is why you want to go this even further. I'm like stretching out your conspiracy theory right now, man. Oh, I, oh, I've got the next level to it too. Why do you think Q? Why do you think Q wanted to stop and turn us around? Because what did he say? One day you will surpass us. Mm-hmm. Because that, what are you missing? And that's what I was going to add: is that humans have two advantages over Balkans. In, from what I can see, one. And they kind of tie together. One, humans reproduce a lot faster. So you have more humans that are capable, at least of a base level compared to a Vulcan, but working together, accomplishing more than Vulcans because there's more of them. And because of that leads to the second one, that working together, that taking what somebody did and advancing it. Vulcans were like, nah, he's good. He did that. We're good. Let's call it, just call it there. We're good. Whereas humans, like, I mean, take the time from what, you know, their 
World War III to the time it took to invent warp theory and then how quickly they progressed from there. Like Vulcans were always slowing them down, slowing them down, slowing them down because they were afraid of them surpassing them. Well, and that's true. Now let's fast forward a couple hundred years. This is going to be a long episode. Yeah, it, it is. is. It might be too. So, start date four four zero 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 point one. Wolf three five nine. Sure. So, the yeah, Vulcans, the Vulcans have seen humans progress, growing too far, too far, yeah. and they've seen that the uh, the Federation is. They were the puppet masters. They were behind the scenes, controlling things, maintaining their their level of oppressions through subtle means, keeping humanity down. But then they see the opportunity. The Borg ship is coming. They've seen the sensor data. They know that no Federation ship has a chance to stop them. So the heads of Starfleet of you know Starfleet HQ, Starfleet Tactical, predominantly humans. They say we're going to get every ship we got together at Wolf Three Five Nine, and we're going to stop the Borg ship because Borg ship is coming for Earth, and we don't want anything to happen there. And the Vulcans see everything was going on, and they say, "Yeah, sure, go right for it, knock yourself out." Wolf Three Five Nine, they get massacred everyone dies because they know they don't have any weapons against this Borg menace. Right. And so the ship... The Millennium Falcon. So the ship keeps coming towards Earth. The only thing left is one galaxy-class starship. How are they going to do anything to stop this Borg ship? In the Vulcan's mind, Earth gets nuked by the Borg. And and the Borg Vulcan. move on. Vulcan, yeah. sta- Vulcan stays safe, and Vulcan stays the superior life form. Vulcans rule the galaxy. Vulcans, it's the Vulcan Empire, not the Federation. It's, it goes back to the theory of uh, from another uh, 20th century classic. Drop. Going back to another 20th century classic of what's uh, postulated in the film Jurassic Park where it goes through the process of each thing creates the next one which destroys them until the only thing that was left was the thing that was avoiding everything the whole time. Wait, do you mean the whole God creates man? Man Man kills God. Man kills God. God creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs kill man. Woman inherits the earth. No, man, no. God creates dinosaur. God kills dinosaur. Right. God creates man. Man kills God. Woman inherits the earth. Get the quote right. I think it's right. But my point stands. Don't you dare sully the words of Dr. Ian Malcolm. So that that's that's my thesis on why Wolf Three Five Nine was an inside job. Inside, as in the Vulcans. Inside Vulcans, inside the Vulcan mind. That's that sounds like an interesting different podcast. Inside the Vulcan mind. There we go. So, so the uh, so that happens. But despite their best efforts, or eats man, woman inherits the earth. 
looked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so despite their best efforts, the humans keep on going. But at this point, at this point, Starfleet is decimated, and the Vulcans are still working, and they have backup plans. And next thing you know, they're in a duck blind watching another pre-warp civilization, just like the Vulcans did the humans. Round however many. Is and it then, just two? Meet the new just, boss, yeah. same as the old boss. Right. And then this, this blind thing, gathering linguistic data, the feed to their universal translator, so the day they do first contact, they can go live long. Also, I mean, to put it out there, the humans created a lot of things that the Vulcans said were impossible. Like time travel. Also warp 10. And warp 10. Among Going back to the tech thing. Okay, so how does it, how does a Starship computer, meanwhile, a s relatively small ship like the USS Voyager, get and get this information from a shuttlecraft that has gone warp 10, has gone to every point in the universe. Yes. Has gathered sensor data from every point every in the universe. Has and you know sensor data is you know full spectral analysis of planets, of stars, of supernovas, of galaxies. It has so it now knows everything. Everything to know about everything. About everything, and it fits in a shuttlecraft computer. Well, that's why the shuttlecraft was adrift because they had to eject everything else to keep the storage. <laughs> he has no retorts. I, I story checks out, <laughs> but you can't go warp ten, or else you turn to a lizard. Correct. That is scientifically proven. Yeah. Question that: Are lizards the superior species? I mean, look well, at the bird. Well, the races Indy sure thought they were. Yes. Dinosaur eats man. Mm -hmm. That's right. Maybe that's what they meant the whole time. Woman inherits the earth. And that's why and that's why Janeway was the only one of the Star Trek captains ever become right. a stay in admiral. That's right. Yeah. We're just tight. And We're you just... had Commander O on top of that. Yeah, Commodore O. Oh no, you had that oh. other you had that other lady who Literally just like dropped an F. The one who told Picard to shut up. Essentially. Yeah. What was her name? I can't forget her. She was she, she was, was uh, that previous acronym that you came up with that was quite clever. Yeah, she was Admiral RBF. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so what do you say we wrap this one up? I think that would uh, probably be best. Yeah, it probably is. We said it was a text extravaganza, but we only covered covered two subjects, which is about our speed. Yeah. Well, and then we just got you know whack job. Yeah. We Admiral Kirsten Clancy. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but this has been fun. It's been a long time since we've done this. It has. Yeah. I apologize to all our viewers that we, we thought we would do this on a more regular basis, but apparently quarantine has been a lot busier than we anticipated. Anticipated, yes, for sure. 
but um, this is well, the uh, the uh, Talaxium macrovirus is just rampaging all over. It's everywhere. So you gotta you gotta stay home. You gotta quarantine. TM or else you blow up like a puffer fish. Yeah, TM nineteen's spreading wild right now. Isn't TM nineteen also a Pokemon move? Isn't that like Surf or something? Uh, it's not Surf, no, because that's an HM move. You moron. That's <laughs> HMO five three. Uh, and with that note on that note this has been the start of the podcast with your hosts the great Beanimus Le Pedant and the Iconoplast thank you very much for listening until next time whenever that is hopefully soon computer and transmission <laughs>